I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Mike Renner. And wow, we just wore... Lime green. Well, mine's... Same color shirt again for the second straight show, but like different Mine's Kelly green. Mine's the Notre Dame green. Okay, true. But we both went green today. It's a little bright. Both went orangey, yellow, whatever we did last time around. Anyway, you're back. Appreciate you coming back to the PFF NFL Podcast because you're a podcast free agent right now. Yeah, Sam officially on watch list. Like, he's got to get his ass back to Cincinnati or else... If the numbers are through the roof. I don't know. We don't know yet. Yeah, Yeah. this could be full Wally Pip here. (laughs) <laughs> right? This could be it. Renner's back on the show. You might be making a play here as a free agent. I mean, I am. I have options right now. I'm, you do. I'm being courted by multiple podcasts. <laughs> really? Just yours. <laughs> Jeff Cole and Unexpected Points. No. Yeah, kind of getting in there and uh, seeing. No. no there's um, anyway, um, appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, I didn't know what we were going to do today, but uh, we've been. I've been doing a lot of draft research here, Mike. Yes. And since you're our draft guy here, I figured we could... Uh, open up a discussion i've been doing some research on our draft board how good it is the consensus draft board did some research on that and of course my model that i hinted at all throughout the uh the draft process here we Mm -hmm. talk about a little bit of that but i thought it'd be fun to go back in time and see how well our draft board would have done which is tricky right because you can't just say like here's your big board and I, i put it i tested it as if we were a team as if we had, say, pick 10 or pick mm-hmm. 15 every round. And I'll just say the early returns are pretty good. We could talk about it a little bit, but what are your thoughts on that? Like, we're, every team has this big board, but you only get to see their six, seven, or eight picks. You don't actually get to see everything. Like, people yeah. get to see everything that we put out there as far yes. as the draft board goes. Yes, it was very enlightening to just go through and see, hey, at pick, like you said, 15. That was the one that I looked at because that's, you know, an average ish pick for an NFL team. Year on year for the last, I guess it's eight years now, right, that we have this data for of just who we would have done, just who the board said, go. And going back, there's a lot of – and I think it really thrives in rounds three, four that we see – three, four, five, where we see a lot of guys that we identified um, as hits in those range over the years. So it's interesting to see. Yeah, I tested it out a few different ways. We'll go through our – our, our draft board and, and what it would have done. But first, a reminder that the best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their best ball mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year win. It's that simple. The champion of best ball mania last year drafted in June, so there's no time like the present to join Underdog and take your shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. And then if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head 
to underdogfantasy.com. It's underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Play $10 with code PFF and draft your best ball mania team today. All right, let's get into some of this uh, draft history here, Mike. So just a little recap, right? We started grading in 2014. We did not put a draft board together for the 2015 draft. But remember early on, we were like, man, we are really highlighting some players that we just called hypothetical first-rounders who turned out to be pretty good. Guys like Trey Flowers, Grady Jarrett. We thought Henry Anderson was a guy that we would have taken in the first round. Again, hypothetically, who Mm -hmm. went into the third, probably didn't live up to the hype as those other guys. Uh, Adrian Amos came out of that draft. There were some really good players in that draft that had really good grades. We were like, hey, we're on to something here. And NFL teams didn't have access to that data yet. Yeah. Um, but early on, it looked like we've got – we have some promise here. And it seems like it's a, little, it's a little harder to find gems now because every team has the PFF data. And I think they're incorporating it more into their process. But those early years, it was like – looked like we were really on to something. I, I agree. I mean, I do think we were on something, especially where our biggest hits were in multiple years was defensive line, at, at least the first few years. 2015, you know, identifying Trey Flowers, Grady Jarrett, as we called them, we put them in our first round mock. Yep. And those guys went, what, fourth and fifth, Yep, I believe, respectively. And absolutely played like first yeah. rounders, gotten yeah. second contracts, the whole thing. Exactly. And then second year, we identified, and the grading identified Chris Jones. I mean, we had him as yep. top I believe he's like 12th in the PFF board that year, goes second round, and obviously all that rest history. But it did, we saw right away the grades were doing a great job identifying defensive line talent that maybe wasn't quite as on the NFL radar. So, again, this, is, this isn't to highlight what we would have, um, how good we are. I know it might come across that way. It's, it's just an exercise to mm-hmm. see how things would have gone. And then I want to discuss what it is with. Um, with NFL teams, because I, I do listen. Do you listen to any of the post-draft press conferences from, from teams or anything? Because I listen to some of those sometimes just because it's interesting yeah. to hear their thought process and their insight. And you hear a lot of, this dude loves football. Like, every team's drafting guys that love football, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of scheme fit discussion. There's a lot of, this is one of our guys, right? This, this guy was a starred player for us yeah. for, because of everything. Teams put in thousands and thousands of hours of time into the draft process. Yeah. But we've also mentioned a lot on here, like, what if you didn't put as much time <laughs> and you just drafted off a consensus board or a draft board or you didn't overly think about scheme fit? How would it go? It's, it's kind of that's this exercise, essentially. I, I do think the, the tough thing is, though, these guys that are, you say, if you don't think about scheme fit, these guys go to a scheme or go to a role that then fits them. So, like, drafting Grady Jarrett and then asking him to maybe two gap as 3-4 defensive end, you're going to get a different player. Right. So, like, that does still matter, and it, it is something you still do have to take into account. I think the bigger thing is, what if you didn't take into account your roster right now? Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. these picks. It's like, what if you didn't, what if you had Grady Jarrett there sitting on the board for you, but you also had Aaron Donald already? You're the Los Angeles Rams, and you're like, you know, I'm not going to draft another three-technique. I have Aaron Donald. But it's like, you're passing on a talented player to not draft another talented player. So, uh, I do think that's the bigger thing that comes into these draft decisions that an exercise like just going based off the board and just selecting the best player. And, yeah, maybe you're going to load up on a lot of players at one position and end up having that. But I do think the accumulation of talent in the NFL is the, mo- is the difficult part. And it being at one position or the other should not impact your draft decisions that 
as much as they do, I think, having looked at, yeah. at an exercise like this. Yeah, so again, with this, um, here's how I tested it, by the way. So I used PFF War. Mm-hmm. Um, I've explained that at, at times on the show, but PFF War does map to wins pretty well, right? Teams yeah. that have higher war have higher wins, and PFF War is more predictable from year to year than previous win totals and other metrics that are used. So I use that as a baseline to kind of test these things out. So which teams added the most war? Yeah. And then it wasn't just war, but it was war against say, the average at a position or the expected war from a draft slot. So I kind of sliced it a few different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point you're making here is an interesting one, right? Because I didn't when, – when I went through this, here's the actual exercise. Yeah. I said, what if we had pick 15 and pick 10? I did two different drafts, right? Let's, let's talk about the pick 15 one. We have pick 15, and I am obligated to draft the best player on the draft board at pick 15 as if that, I was the team. Yeah. The one adjustment that I did make, though, was for round. I picked the best player on the draft board who was still available but was eventually drafted in the same round uh, for the most part. And I did that because um, we're, we're not – because teams have probably more intelligence than we do where guys will go. Where guys will go, mm-hmm. right? So I'm kind of working on the assumption that we would have our own internal model, which we don't necessarily have right now as far as expected draft position. And honestly, just using a consensus board is a good starting point. Mm-hmm. You can kind of write your own algorithm off that. Teams have a general idea of where players yeah. are going to go. So, so that was the exercise. And I'll just say, overall, the PFF draft board did very well, as did my model. You, you want to go yeah. and just go through draft by draft and say who we yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. So back to 2015, let's go if we had... Pick 15. You have some of the names in front of you. Yeah, I, I here's it. what I did in 2015 because we didn't have a draft board yeah. at the time. So I kind of used a little intuition, and I cheated a little bit against our favor. I drafted guys that we liked around earlier than they went just to, just to not have too much – not to have any bias in there. Yeah. Um, also so, didn't adjust for position. So we drafted first-round running backs. Yeah. We, draft, we did not adjust for position. So in 2015, the hall was Melvin Gordon, Henry Anderson, Trey Flowers – Grady Jarrett of the notable hall. And that's yeah. and we took Flowers in round three instead of four, and we took Jarrett in yeah. round four instead of five. Okay. Um, and then 2016, Corey Coleman, first-round pick. Yeah, big Love. miss. Big miss there. But then second round, we get Cody Whitehair, Garth the Bears, Leonte Carew Another in big the miss. third, not great. Andrew Billings in the fourth, Rashard Higgins in the fifth. Not a great draft that year. No. And, and not every draft was good. I mean, this is, this is in line with what yeah, NFL teams exactly. do, right? Some teams, some are good, some are not so good. And then 2017, though, we have a little bounce back year. Yeah, Jonathan was- Allen, Zach Cunningham, Jordan Lewis, Carl Lawson, Desmond King. So that's a pretty solid haul there through the first five rounds. 2018, Derwin James, Connor Williams, Mark Andrews. Wow, that would have been good. Picks. That would have been a great draft, obviously. 2019, Jerry Tillery. DK Metcalf. So big miss with Tillery. Yeah. But but DK makes up for it. DK, yeah, the Tillery one, yikes. Um, Amani Hooker. Amani Oruarie. Very good safety. Yeah. Like two more starters later on in the secondary. And then David Long as well uh, in the sixth. The linebacker the from linebacker the Titans. from the Titans, yep. Not the cornerback for the Rams. But uh, 2020, then we get Jerry Judy, Christian Fulton, Jordan Elliott. Not as, not great yet, but two years in. Christian Fulton's been very good for the Titans. Judy, TBD still. Um, and this past year, we would have got Quiddy Pay, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, 
Wyatt Davis, Jabril Cox, Davion Nixon, Tay Gowan, and Kerry Vincent. So, JOK would have been a hit. Quiddy Pay, maybe. TBD on so Quiddy far. Bear. So, TBD. Um, so, it's decent. And I, so, I compared this to all other teams yeah. over the last few years. And first off, I do want to get into which teams have been the best. Um, but the PFF board did has done pretty well. The, the PFF draft board overall added more war, war per season than every team except the Saints. So it's uh, war per season, but also uh, over expectation. And, and it, it's not because you hit every single pick. Mm-hmm. Because, again, we're working off this baseline. When I, when I had Spielman on here the other day, I mean, look, you just you know you're not going to hit on, on every single pick. You know that that's not realistic. But like you said, it's kind of like I think rounds two through five, there are just more good players that we came up with yeah. when teams are generally missing. And I think my theory on that is team, that, that's where the need filling, I think, comes in. Mm-hmm. right? So if, if you did honestly pick off the board, how could you do that? Like, what could you do organizationally to just pick the best players off the board? Because I do think if teams stuck to this style. So this is, this is as much an indication of here's, I think, how teams should draft as much as it is, well, PFF's board is better. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. Teams are like, hey, I, got, I, need this, I need this guard. I need this safety. I need this starter. I need this guy. Can you go into the draft truly with no needs? And even if you have needs, ignore them and say, you know what? This year we might have to take two edge defenders and two interior. De- we might just get all defensive linemen. It's yeah. really how the board falls. And you kind of figure out how that's – like in the long term, it's still going to benefit mm-hmm. you. Because you might, even if you have a surplus out of position, you could trade guys or you could yeah. let players walk and not pay them. Like over time, that's going to pay off. Yeah. Uh, so, like, like the Jonathan Allen pick in this draft, we would have already had Trey Flowers, Grady Jarrett, and Henry Anderson. But should that stop you from drafting a guy like Jonathan Allen? You know, like a lot of teams yeah. didn't draft Jonathan. Who, who went to what? 16th? You went 17th. To the, 17th. You went in the middle of the first round to yeah. Washington that year's draft. Like a lot of teams didn't take him in that year. Um, and now he's probably a top five defensive tackle in football. Like, I, I, I do think there is something to not say completely ignoring, and there is some locker room implications of, you know, throwing a first-round pick into a room where you already have talented guys and what that does to, that, to worry about that dynamic. But I do think it gets overblown by NFL teams still, and this exercise is pretty somewhat indicative of it. Yeah, so I, I will say there are – for this to work, right, you would – it, it, the, the numbers wouldn't map, map out exactly because you do need a path to the field, right? So I'm, I'm going to use paths to the field the same way teams use need, right? Like, well, we can't yeah. draft this guy because he's going to be our fourth defensive tackle and stuff like that. So clearly a guy would not add as, as much value in those situations. But again, I do, I do think if you just have more good players on your team, you could figure that out. Even if you have a weak room, right? Like if, uh, we have a weak linebacker room and we're just loaded on the defensive line. I think to make this work, teams have to fill their needs as much as possible before the draft. And then there are players to be had after the draft. You know, much like I thought the Eagles getting James Bradbury for pennies on the dollar compared to his other contract is just great business. You don't lose a comp pick in the future with the James Bradbury move. Mm-hmm. And you, you basically get a, a guy who's historically been a good corner, good solid corner on the cheap. I mean, you would, have to, you would have to work the roster in all of those avenues 
and then the draft would literally be the opposite of what Bill Belichick said, right? Bill, Bel- Bill Belichick said, we're not just accumulating talent, we're just building a team. Yeah. What if we did actually just accumulate talent? Would it work over time? That's the question. Yeah. I, I mean, we would, the free agency strategy, like you, I think it's very similar kind of to what the Ravens honestly do. Like, I, I think this drafting like this is similar to what the Ravens do, and then they don't sign big free agents. They do the avenues you're talking about, get guys who are cut, get guys via trade. They, you know, that's half their roster, like guys like Michael Pierce, Clayus Campbell, Kevin Zeitler, like quality starters, guys that fill an actual role for them that kind of just picked up for nothing. Marcus Peters even, too. Like, the, he didn't take, take a lot to get in the fold. So, uh, yeah, a lot of the, that's probably – those are probably the edges that teams aren't exercising enough, in my opinion. All right, I want to go through some of the results here. Here's how I tested it, Mike. I did yeah. a few different ways. Because I've got my model that went back historically, and I said, what if I only drafted players who were 80th percentile or higher in my model? Can, can you refresh the sort of high-level methodology behind the model? Yeah. Okay. High level. Because I don't yeah. want to give this away because yeah, this, exactly. um, this is going to be exclusive for NFL teams. I know we do have some front offices that yeah. listen. If you do want to learn more about the hit rate of my new draft model, please, uh, please hit me up. Um, exclusive to PFFIQ. But I basically just looked at a lot of variables, a lot of them production-based, also mm-hmm. measurables, mm-hmm. and just tried to map everything to war historically. Um, and then um, – basically ranked everybody that has been drafted, including undrafted players, since 2015, mm-hmm. and then just threw them into percentiles. And, and I kind of made an arbitrary cutoff. And I, and, I, and I basically said, and this is like no, none of my opinion being thrown into this. So there are players that the model doesn't like that I, used to, that I loved, right? I mean, I, I created half the PFF draft boards that we've put out there, right? Or like I was mm-hmm. the final say yeah. on some of them, and you were the final say on some of them. So there are certain times when... The, the model would say, this is a no-draft player. I'm like, oh, this is like my favorite player. This is like my 10th player on the board. Um, but I said, what if we drafted with only 80th percentile players or better? And I literally just threw everybody off the board. So we talk about the NFL teams taking players off the board for various reasons, character and injuries and all that stuff. I don't have that information, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have the same information that they have. But what if I did eliminate everybody that wasn't 80th percentile or higher? There would be some players on there that were that were terrible that never panned out but again the hit rate over time was much better i mean there the the 2017 draft using this method if i could get that really quick was was insane just using my um my board in 2017 if we had pick 15 you want to know who we would have come away with marlon humphrey in the first round okay joe mixon in the second round and then chris godwin Eddie Jackson and George Kittle hmm. in one draft. If we just used my model, if yeah. we just used my draft model, this is it. We're changing the game here, Mike. Just trust, just trust the board. Now, there would be some, some trash ones. This was doing that, again, like adjusting for round. Who's the best player in the round that they were drafted who would have been available? And over time, it would have been a really good draft. If I had picked 10 that year, I would have had Marshawn Lattimore instead of Marlon Humphrey. I do like the concept draft-wise, of eliminating outliers and cutoffs. Like saying guy doesn't meet said threshold, or threshold is probably the better word. Guy doesn't meet said threshold for like I said, your model, 
athletic testing, whatever it is, production, that just – I'm not going to take the chance. Yeah. You, you know, like uh, – Sure, like like a Trayvon Walker production wise, he doesn't meet a threshold that we're, where he's going to get drafted. We're just we're not going to take that chance because sure it could work, but we've seen enough and we have enough data that says guys below that threshold, it's a very much a crapshoot. There's a lot of data that says guys that don't produce along the defensive line college fail to do so once they get to the NFL. So I, I do like that concept of honing in on thresholds and just saying, you know, we're not going to take that chance should a guy not meet said threshold. I want to go back and, and go through some of the players we would have missed on with that method, right? Because, again, this isn't, it's not foolproof. It's not 100%. It's just like over time, if you draft seven times per year. And that was the other thing I did with this. I said, what if we just drafted seven times? We don't get to trade down. We don't get to accumulate picks. All these other strategies – um, as a model, I didn't adjust for age yet, mm-hmm. and I didn't adjust for um, a couple other things that could still be incorporated in there. But when I went back and did this and tested this out, I tested it out a few different ways. First off, I just went back and said, if you just drafted 80th percentile or better, what would your hit rate be? Hit rate um, and miss rate, right? There's a difference. I said, what if you, who's better at finding solid players or better using PFF war per season? And who's better at just missing or not missing, right? Not mm-hmm. bringing in below average players. Full caveat here. Again, teams are filling out their draft with players that are going to play special teams, special teams and all these different things, right? There's a lot of considerations in rounds four, five, and six. But I'm bringing up the point, what if you did it, right? Like special teams is important, but most of the kickoffs are going into the end zone now. And this is like... Do we really need to think about special teams as much? Do we really need to think about filling out the roster? Or should we literally just bat, be, because the pay up? And just it's like, can you not player? build a special teams unit through UDFAs? Is that not feasible? Yeah, you you can, know, it's like, is that impossible to do? Maybe, but I right, feel like it's, it's possible. It's weighing the difference in. Like, how many, great UD, how many great special teams players were drafted? You know, like. That's a great question, too, like right? Ballora is a UDFA. Um, here's the other caveat to all this stuff. This is all non-quarterbacks right now right just for this exercise it's building a non-quarterback team um just because quarterbacks are going to skew everything when it comes to mm-hmm. using wins above replacement and all that stuff um i also tested the consensus board you know so arif hassan does this for the athletic he's he's taken several draft boards historically uh, every single year comes up with one consensus board we've referenced that plenty of times here on the pff nfl podcast the consensus board did very well as well um but when testing this method my model did really well my model i picked 10 or pick 15 did the best as far as adding war adding war above expected draft slot and adding war over let's say like an average player would be at a player's given position um the pff draft board did very well and the consensus board did very well Mm -hmm. and again i think this is with just seven picks other teams had more picks and, and i just added up since 2015, if we drafted this way, who's bringing in the most value? And it was pretty significant. I thought it was a, it was a fascinating exercise to just kind of like test this out. Because I could look at hit rates and all that stuff. But we've actually talked to teams that were like, hey, it's great having this information. But like some of these players aren't available when we draft. So I kind of went through that. Like what if they were available? What if you did just trust mm-hmm. a board, whatever it is, over time? And there'd be some good results. Who are the worst teams? That's what I want to know. <sighs> Jaguars. Yeah, the Jaguars were the worst <laughs> as far as adding war surplus. Here's how I did that. Um, P- 
people who have listened to us talk about war know that, say, corners have a higher wins above replacement number than, say, defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. But I think in a vacuum, it doesn't account for scarcity, right? Like, it's not that hard to find an average corner, say, um, who's going to have a pretty high war. So I said, again, who's bringing in war above this average? So like an average corner, I, saying the numbers is like gibberish to people, but like 0.14 mm-hmm. is average for a corner. So if a guy brings in 0.2, surplus is 0.06. Great. Good podcasting, Steve. That's what we want. But just using that methodology, war surplus, right? Yeah. Look, I'm not that nerdy. This is, I'm doing this in Excel. I'm not even into R and Python and all that stuff. I'm doing this in Excel with good results. Jaguars were the worst. Then the Seahawks. Broncos, Texans, Cardinals, Browns. Those are the worst. Yeah. The, the irony of the Jaguars or the tragic irony is that I really thought they were going to usher in some analytical decision-making when Tony Khan, when shot, obviously his father, Shot Khan, bought the Jaguars. Tony, graduate of my high school, uni high. Friend. <laughs> nice. Shout mine. out. Um, I thought he was actually going to. And they kind of had some like decision-making power in the initial sort of rounds there few years with the Jaguars and I thought they were going to be a very analytically based drafting team and then it just they took the heelest of heel turns to anti-analytics honestly in the way they've drafted probably the past I mean ever since maybe 2016 when did Coughlin take over like they have been and well their draft since their Ramsey pick basically yeah so I guess those when when Tom Coughlin take over over there that was whenever it was while you're looking it up the NFL podcast is brought to you by Cash App. Cash App's the easiest way to send, spend, and save your money. You can send or request money from your friends when they owe you dinner, drinks, literally anything. Besides just sending money back and forth with Cash App, you can invest in stocks with as little as $1, as well as buy, sell, and send Bitcoin instantly. Cash App also lets you design your own debit card completely free to spend money anywhere you'd like. Cash App will laser print it, mail it to you, all for free. The card comes with free discounts at your favorite places. Those are called boosts. So you can sign up for Cash App today using the referral code touchdown which gives new users $15 it's promo code touchdown for 15 free dollars giving away a lot of free stuff here on the pff nfl podcast so go check out cash app so coughlin took over i should have known this i mean this should be obvious in 2017 for net pick because the four net pick was 2017 I, I was quick brief story about that so the Leonard for net pick obviously we panned it we're like that's just an awful pick whatever even though actually i didn't like Fournette as much as a lot of people did but even though, like, Fortnite's still probably, I think he was, like, top 40 on PFF draft board. I'm still like, you don't draft that guy number four overall. I had a guy tweet at me, like, weekly, being like, Fournette pick's going to bring them a Super Bowl. You're an idiot. Tom Coffin knows more than you. <laughs> How are you feeling in 2017? I was going to say, like, after the ASC championship game, he's like, he's the reason why. And I'm like, he averaged still, like, 3.9 yards to carry even that year. Like, he wasn't even good that year that everything else went well. Um and he hasn't tweeted me in a while. I'll just say that. He hasn't tweeted me in a while. <laughs> that, was, um, that was before we had pulled out a hard stance on no drafting running backs. And it was an interesting year because that was yeah. like the year of the running back. Remember that whole class of running backs came in as Very freshmen good. together. Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey. They were all really, really good. And a bunch of them went in the first and second round. Um, Kareem Hunt came out of that class, right? I mean, it was uh, a really good draft class for running backs. You know what's wild? I always think about that as you know the running back class that had all the the talent but do you know which class had the most top 50 running back picks of the past at least since this turn of the century 
If not, I didn't actually even go back further to look. But it had six top 50 picks. Do you know which class that was? No. Which one was that? 2018, the next year. The next year. The next year with Sony Michelle, Saquon, Rashad Penny, Nick Chubb, Kerryon Johnson, someone oh, yeah, else. Kerryon went high. Who was the other one? Uh, maybe Darius Geis might have been the other one. Interesting. It's, it's six top 50 picks in 2018. So I always think of 2017 as the draft where it's like, oh, the loaded running back class. That obviously I think did a little bit more and has done a little bit more in the NFL. But 2018 was also a big running back class. Yeah, it's, it, it, that was the other. I kind of studied this by position a little bit too. And again, going back. To oh no, Ronald sir, Jones was the other one. Ronald Excuse Jones, me, not even. It, teams teams still value their running back evaluations. Even teams that we would you know that th- we throw into the smart bucket or whatever you want to call it, you do hear them talk about drop offs and tiers and all that stuff. And and to me, that's the biggest driver of all this stuff, right? It's like we have a tier one of running backs, a tier two of running backs, and if the if there's only two guys left in tier two. Teams are still willing to trade up and go get that guy. And evaluations do matter, just not as much as they do at other positions when it comes to running back. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like all the surplus numbers and stuff like that point to running backs just not not being it. So the other so again, when I look through this, um, and then the other interesting thing about that, not to really derail this, but is that no, you can derail. This is a okay, derailing yeah, yeah. podcast. Go go down the rabbit hole. It's a short term pick also. You know, the running back position. You, you can draft the guys we just said. Like, even looking back at our draft board, when we were like, oh, we got Melvin Gordon, you know, in 2015, we would have drafted him. And we also got Grady Jarrett, Trey Flowers. You know, Grady Jarrett is still on his team, making an impact, getting paid a lot of money. Melvin Gordon's been gone from the Chargers for, what, three, two years now? Three years? Like, yeah. doing nothing. Like, that. that's just the life cycle. So, like, you draft a running back, and it's like, sure, it could make an impact, next four years but you would ideally want an andrew whitworth who is with your franchise for a decade plus you know that right is willing to take that team-friendly deal that's to stick the, around that's and the point be your edge even on a second contract um that I, I think is something that doesn't get talked about in the running backs don't draft them conversations that like it's a short-term decision when you do draft one that, that is the point, right? Like um, a lot of this analysis, there's there's two ways, there's two ways to look at this, right? Uh, at, at one point, you are only getting this guy for four years, and that's why I've been pushing back a little bit against uh, quote unquote upside, because if you do have a guy that develops in year three or four, I think you were one of the first people yeah. at PFF that brought this up. Like you're you might be wasting half of a player's contract mm-hmm. if he gets to the point, right? So you only have him for four years. At the same time, if you hit on a player. He is more likely to stay with you a li- cheaper, right? It is cheaper to keep yes. your own than it is to go to free agency. It's yeah. also safer, safer because you know you know what you're getting, assuming you're not going to change systems four times. Yeah. You've got a guy in the same system, so projecting his play is easier. So there is value in just finding these good players, which again goes back to like the hit rate in rounds four, five, six, and seven isn't great. But if you can increase it a few percentage points by trusting the board, is that going to be worth it over time? Not maybe in individual drafts, but if you draft, if you do get six or seven years to draft over time, you're probably going to have a better, a better team and have better teams. Yeah. Um, so using these this method, we're drafting non quarterbacks. We're seeing how much value they're bringing back. Just going to say my model did the best when I adjusted for round. I then went crazy and tested my model. Like, what if I just tested it based off the highest players? I haven't really adjusted it for position value, any of that stuff. I had some trash first-round picks when I had to do this. I had to pick some, some huge misses in the first round. 
when I did this, when I just went by the top player on the board, which I would never do, by the way. I just wanted to test mm. it out. And uh, I still, it still ended up really good. It still ended up better than any NFL team if I just drafted the top player on the draft board because the George Kittles and Chris Godwins and Adrian Amoses of the world were still there. Those guys showed up as elite in the model. Now, there's two teams. There are two teams that drafted at a comparable level to my model, uh, the PFF draft board, and the consensus board because they were much higher, those, those various factions. The model, our draft board, the consensus board. The best drafting team since 2015, New Orleans Saints. Unsurprising. No, no matter which way you slice it. I as will far also as say players that, that they've added, hit rate and okay. miss rate. Lowest miss rate, highest hit rate for the Saints. This is a percentage base, though, right? This is percentage. So that's a little misleading, I'll say. Yeah. There's in other terms ways of to, yeah. they've had six picks a draft, you know, fewer than six picks in like every sure. draft. So, like, when all those picks are in the first handful of rounds and they're trading up for one guy, and, and now that's they, they've been good at identifying that one guy. When, when they trade up for a guy, yep. they've hit. But I, I do think that doing rate-wise versus maybe total accumulation of talent I have that might look different. I've but got okay, total saying, war, too. I'm just saying. But the, Saints, the Saints know how to identify when they identify a guy. They're first in they're hit good. rate as far as like who's brought in the most high-end players, the most solid players. It's the Saints. Highest yes. hit rate. Yes. They have the best hit rate at not bringing in below average players, maybe because they haven't drafted rounds four yeah. through seven, right? Skewed well, a little bit. Ian but as far as who's brought in the most non-QB war since 2015, it's the Chiefs number one, Saints number two, Ravens number three. Non-QB war. Chiefs are number one. Non-QB war. It's the Chiefs. That's exceptional. Brett Feach. Yeah. So, Tyree- so when Brett Feach uses the PFF draft board, I'm... Tyree Kills in there. <laughs> oh, yeah, Tyree Kills. Creed awesome. Humphrey may have skewed everything just this yeah. past year at center. He was incredible. Um, but, the, you know, they've made some playoff runs. That's going to help a little bit as far as a cumulative stat goes. Um, but the Chiefs have brought in the most QB war because of Mahomes, but also the most non-QB war yeah. as well. Um, so Chiefs, Saints, Ravens, and then the Cowboys are next as far as teams go. Now, when I sort that way, it's Steve's model, whether I'm picking 10th or 15th, seven times a year. It's Steve's model. And then the PFF draft board. Steve's model one, Steve's model two, PFF draft board number three, then the Chiefs, Saints, and the Ravens. Here's the other interesting thing that I looked at was what's the, using that surplus number, just uh, which teams essentially brought in the most positional, expected positional value, let's say? Like who should have gotten the most war Mm -hmm. based off of they drafted high value positions and they drafted often, essentially. Yeah. Those teams include the Vikings and Rick Spielman, Vikings, Browns, Ravens, and 49ers. So the Ravens, clearly, we talk about the way they operate. They're, bringing, they're, they're going after high-value positions. The Browns are drafting high-value positions and often, and the Vikings did that because they, they drafted so many defensive backs and receivers through the year, well, mostly defensive backs. Mm-hmm. So they were bringing in the most value. That's where the Saints are close. They're, they're actually at the bottom. So the Saints brought in the lowest expected war essentially we'll say Mm -hmm. because they haven't drafted often which is interesting right like what do you do if you're the saints do you say hey we just keep hitting let's keep doing that or it's like man if you give us a few more swings yeah maybe the hit rate's going to go down a little bit but we're pretty good at this thing like we're actually good at hitting on picks would you actually view it that way if you're the saints give me more I would. Oh, I, that's the thing. Is like we would. We would say yes. You would say yeah. if you can identify one guy, well, then you probably can identify two. Like, you, like there should be theoretically, like their whole 
trade-off for Chris Olave. And now this year is obviously different, but you would think your board over time would identify more than just Chris Olave. You know? Yeah. You would think you would be able to... Or maybe they have like a stringent, their own stringent model, right? And by a model, I mean, look, all I did was put a percentile on a player. Mm -hmm. Teams do the same thing. They put a draft grade. This guy's a 6.8, he's a 7.2, he's a 9 in Saquon Barkley's case. Maybe the Saints are that stringent, right? Like we're never going to draft anybody under a 7 in the first two rounds. Whatever it is, right? You just stick to your draft grades. Um, And that is how teams look at things, right? When When they tier players. Like, here are the players above a certain draft grade that we would draft at this part of the draft. And if we don't have that option, we're, we're not going to draft. We're going to trade out or, mm-hmm. or trade up and to yep. go get the guy in the tier that we want. I want to go through some of my hits and misses using the model, which do relate a lot to the PFF draft board. Um, first, the misses, right? So you talked about eliminators, right? You have to be comfortable with this. You have to be comfortable with the media telling you, well, 31 other teams passed on Russell Wilson. You missed on Russell Wilson. You have to be comfortable saying, well, he's an outlier for us. He's too short. He's yeah. too this. He's too that. You have to be comfortable eliminating players. So if, if I did stick to my board and I said 80th, 80th percentile or better, that's it. Mm-hmm. Hard cutoff. Would have missed on Marcus Peters, Byron Jones, both in uh, 2015, who have become very good first-round corners. Uh, Creed Humphrey last year barely missed it. So if I was stringent, you know, I would have missed on Creed Humphrey, who might be the best center in the league shortly. Um, Greg Newsom, I didn't like Darius Leonard. Um, probably an information deal because we didn't have all of his data there. Like we just yeah, that one whatever. Yeah, him. we didn't grade. We didn't have him graded. So what yeah, do? it's also it's it's interesting to me when there are players that I like when I watched film that show up on the don't draft list, right? And that was uh, Juan Thornhill, the second rounder. Safety for the Chiefs and uh, Darnell Savage, the first round safety for the Packers. I loved both of those guys. Hmm. Um, and there was data that said they were going to be good free safety prospects and all these different things. I thought I loved Darnell Savage yeah. coming out. I think I was one of the first people that kind of pointed to him as a potential first rounder I'd, and before it was mentioned. You did. Um, and he became a first rounder. But I would have missed on those guys who had become good players. Daniil Hunter, one of the guys we've talked about quite a bit here, the guy that, that gets the Trayvon Walker comp. There's no data that pointed toward him yeah um i did love spielman's talking about hunter saying you know what if you're obviously talking about trayvon walker he's like what if he's the next deal hunter and then he goes and says it's a lot easier to draft Neil hunter in the third round you yeah. know it was a lot easier to draft him not number one overall i yeah. thought that was very enlightening of kind of how he saw that i appreciate you listening to the spielman interview because i think it was I, I think he was he opened up more than i think most former gms would yeah as oh as wow i was goes. i was floored at like didn't he bring him. a lot of yes new insight to the table one of the most interesting things too was him saying like and this is obviously a hot topic right now but him talking about you know what if one of my uh you know player on my team gets a dui or obviously he had to do with the jeff gladney situation rp there and obviously they cut him and his first reaction was the sponsors like thinking about sponsors yeah. and the money coming in like that's who he's answering to and not necessarily just answering a moral question in his own heart it's like oh no money's actually going to stop coming in the door should we employ this guy so that was yeah. interesting kind of it, peek behind the curtain that i've never thought of it's like oh a sponsor's going to pull out if we have this guy on our team so i i had heard him i had heard rick spielman discuss some of that on the side before which mm-hmm. is why i prompted him because i asked him before i was like is there anything i can't talk about he said nope Cool. Open book. You know, yeah. he, he didn't give details on everything. But, yeah, as the general manager, 
you have to do that. I thought it was interesting that he said he reviews all of their social media stuff to make sure they're not giving away any secrets. Like he watches every video that Vikings.com or did that they send out. I wonder if Quasi must have somebody doing that for him, I hope, That's, at this point. But Rick no. was the guy that was like, hey, I want to make sure we're not giving away our, uh, you know, any, any secrets, right? I got to make sure. Is that just uh, – I couldn't imagine being GM of an NFL team and having to approve social media clips. Yeah. It's like you, you weren't, my time just can't, can't – has to be able to be used better. Well, because I, I, I posed it as this. I, I don't remember if you and I have discussed this before, but like with the Kyler Murray thing. Yeah. And I was like, somebody had to go into Steve Kimes' office, right, and say, we need to respond on Instagram, right? Like, yeah. the so- he had to have a meeting with the social media director and say, he deleted us on Instagram. What do we do? And Steve Kimes probably like, what? What are you talking about? Like, this is, this is how we do contract negotiations these days? Yeah. And, and I, I think that's how I posed the question to Spielman, too. But, like, those are real things that general managers have to deal with. I'm just, I mean, I'm just over here writing up Excel models on yeah. how you draft players. Doing He's like, I, I got to worry about the sponsors. You know, there's other stuff in here. But that's the interesting thing, though. It's like, what if you didn't have to do that? You know, what if, what if you did have a guy that didn't have to do those things? What, yeah. what if you had a manager of that side? I don't know, whatever you would call that. The yeah. Business side, the non-football football stuff. And then just had a guy who actually made pure football decisions. Like that was his job was just pure football and didn't have to think about other things. I, I think that's. I'm sure some teams are set up in, in a way like that. Not everyone. I think that's where your assistant GMs, mm-hmm. uh, your pro personnel directors, yeah. your college scouting director, teams are set up so that there are guys that are mostly worried about football. But I even say that about scouts, right? Like when we talk about scouts, their job is not to just evaluate the player. It's to know everything about the player's background. Yeah. And I don't want to they're dismiss. P- they're, they're PIs, you know. <laughs> they are. They absolutely are. Like I don't want to dismiss the value of that information, right? Because if you do only get seven picks a year – you don't want to waste one on a guy that's just not going to be there because of character issues or, or whatever it might be. So, again, it's, it's why, like, this board exercise is interesting and fun. Um, well, then you have your personal, personality model that he had, you know? Yeah, yeah. You he's have got, that model, he's too. got a personality model yeah. in there and everything, right? But, again, that's all data-driven stuff, right? I mean, that's the whole point, right? Like, so if I had personality information, throw that on top in the model. Then cut throw. off. Vernon Hargraves doesn't make the cut, then. Vernon, maybe that would be the <laughs> yeah. Vernon Hargraves eliminator. Um, I want to go through a few more misses on my do not draft list. Guys that turned out to be pretty good that um, the, the model would have said no. Uh, Andrew Thomas, who um, I think we put as the top tackle on our board, and I, mm-hmm. I agreed. I liked Andrew Thomas. Watching film, he like, would have just missed the cuss, cut. That's wild you bring it up. I had a dream last night that Andrew Thomas was the highest grade tackle in the NFL. I don't know why. Next year's the year. But that Break just jogged my memory that I had literally last night. I just had a dream Andrew Thomas is the highest grade tackle in the NFL. And I'm saying he's a miss because the cumulative of his yeah. first two years has been in the solid range as far yeah. as four goes, even though he started slow. Laramie Tunsil, we would have missed on. Adafi Owe would have missed on. Brian Burns. Again, guys that we liked. Guys that like yeah. you and I watched film, and said, liked them, said players. these are first-round players, and I would have put them on the do-not-draft list. A um, couple bucks. Antoine Winfield, Carlton Davis in the second round. Dallas Goddard, FCS adjustments, probably not in there yet for me. Well, I'm curious. Wait, did the model like Ronnie Stanley, though? Because so. obviously the Ravens took Stanley over Tunsil. I'm very curious to Yes, see. it did. So that, that's uh, 89th percentile. So Ooh. he would have. Um, that's interesting to me. So he would have been yeah. pretty high there. Um, the model. Here's where the model would have missed on. On just players that I would have drafted that I would have drafted that I would have missed on. Uh, Dante Fowler. It really liked. 
Bud Dupree actually made the cut as much as we've trashed Bud Dupree. Model like Bud. It liked Bud. Now, th- there's another Bud's the ultimate case study of, like, was he actually worth the pick? Because he wasn't good for a good three years. I don't think he was. No. I don't think he was. Like, I don't think he turned out to be a, a good player at all. Okay. Fair. Um, but he had the one good year. He did develop. Yeah. But, yeah, you didn't get it. That was your five, right? Your um, five was his one good year. Or, no, your four is your good year. Your four was five his was... one good year. Yes. Yeah. And it didn't continue yeah. after that. Uh, Vernon Hargraves, I think, is the biggest miss for the entire draft community over the last eight years. Because mm-hmm. there were no – unless I'm missing something, unless I'm missing something in the character model or whatever it was, I don't think anything said Hargraves was going to be a miss. Uh, Sheldon Rankins, it liked a lot. That would have missed. Um, Solomon Thomas, it liked a lot. Again, he's a hybrid player. I don't know if I adjusted properly for the fact that he was a half edge, half. Rankins was fine. Interior defensively. But Rankins didn't become yeah. elite. He still landed in the below average yeah. bucket overall. And he went 12th overall. You know, he went pretty high. Yeah, that was a high. Um, but here's um, the model hits as far as, like, say, just fourth round or later. Mm-hmm. Shaq Mason's in there. Max Crosby's in there. Amani Hooker from the Titans. Grady Jarrett, who we've mentioned. Adrian Amos, who we've mentioned. George Kittle is in there. These are just elite players. DJ Reed, Wyatt Teller. DJ Reed just got paid. Teller just got paid. Um, Darren Waller's technically in there. Another tricky one because he was a receiver, so he probably projects well at tight end. Um, And there's a few. uh, Deshaun Elliott from the Ravens. Chuck Clark from the Ravens. I feel like the Ravens are... Possibly. They might be on to some stuff here. Just saying. I don't want to give away too much. Um, but there's a lot of mid to late round hits. And, and this is one of those questions teams ask, right? What do we do rounds four through seven? And I do think you can increase your odds if you're using this data, using the model. But you got to be, like, again, you got to be comfortable with we're not going to, mm-hmm. we're going to miss on some players. We're going to miss out on some players. We're not going to hit on every player that we take, but we're going to increase our odds to find good players and avoid busts. And I know my method has been better when I test it backwards than um, than general hit rate. Yeah, I, I do want to see someone really buy into completely roster avoided draft method. Like, I don't care who's on my roster. If I think, I'll say this year, like, if I'm, I don't even know who, it, like the Packers in round two. They only had two, two second round picks, say. Just saying, Malik Willis is the top player on the board here. We're going to draft Malik Willis. They're like, obviously they have Aaron Rodgers, they have Jordan Love, but like really not caring about what's on your roster right now and just saying, I want an accumulation of who I think is going to bring the most value to the table. Yeah. And I think that's a better strategy than a lot of team strategies. Maybe it's not optimal strategy, but I do think it's better the strategy than, I mean, shit, teams we've seen draft over the past handful of years. The other two other Ravens that hit third in the third round, Orlando Brown and then Andrews, Mark Andrews, who yep. you mentioned earlier, um, both both over 90th percentile in the model ended up as elite um, running backs. Pretty good too. Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, guys that guys that showed up. Well, um, my, my question with the ignore what's on your roster deal, you do have to worry a little bit about we talked about path to the field. Right. Mm-hmm. So, again, if if. Say you drafted Orlando Brown, right, because the model loves him. If he literally can't get on the field because you have two starting tackles and you're not going to see him until year three, my model won't – like the results are going to be skewed, right? Yeah, he didn't get to play yes. to accumulate that value. Now, it doesn't mean that strategy's wrong. 
but it's harder to kind of like justify it or prove it out than like, hey, Orlando Brown was the right pick. Um, but it also goes to the same thing. Like, is that the equivalent of drafting a guy with upside who doesn't hit until year three? If you draft a guy and he doesn't have a path to the field for two years, is that the same exact thing? So I think you have to weigh what's on the field a little bit. And that's probably where. Yeah. You know, you're you're missing some. Look, that's, I'm, I'm that's, a best yeah, player no, I'm, I'm saying, guy. Yeah, that's that's I'm, probably when you're looking at optimal strategy. Then is guy who can actually play snaps. Right? I, I usually like the threshold of like, is he going to play 500 snaps? Yeah. Can can I get him on the field for 500 snaps? So that'd be like a slot corner. It depends rotational on the position. D right? There's places where you could do that. Third wide receiver. Those guys are all going to play 500 snaps. At that point, it should not. No longer be called not a need if a guy's going to play 500 snaps to you that's a need in my opinion yeah and, and i think smart teams look at needs in a multi-year level as well i've talked mm-hmm. about the eagles a lot of times right when they have a player in the last year of his contract they were drafting his replacement a year early well and that that's like another certain positions sort of thing it's like that works along off the line that works yeah. along defensive line that that might be like it They're the positions where you're really taking that into account I'd yeah say. i mean defensive line it doesn't matter who's on your roster like you're probably rotating six to eight players. Yeah. There's a path to the field for almost anybody that you draft if they're good. Yeah. Right? If they are good enough, there's a path to the field. It is places where there's only two tackles playing or there's only, you know, I won't even say two corners because depth is is Mm -hmm. valuable. But most positions, you don't have to worry about a path to the field. Um, But then, again, this didn't adjust for positional value. So there would be a point where you'd say, yeah, maybe I'm not going to look at linebackers. They also drafted Dallas Goddard before – and when they still had Zach Ertz. When so. they still had Zach Ertz. Yeah. But, but I think having two tight ends is both, I always use the phrase, tactical and strategic, right? The tactics of having two tight ends on the field is valuable, right? Having two guys that are tough to cover and can run block mm-hmm. is a good you know, play, week-to-week thing that you can do as the Eagles. And then, oh, by the way, Zach Ertz is getting old. You have a strategic replacement for him. I don't know if I'm using tactical and strategic properly there. But I do sl- separate the two, right? There's a there's sounds game cool. planning. It sounds cool. There's week to week game planning, and then yeah. there's overall roster team building. Absolutely, draft a good tight end, even though my model missed on Dallas Goddard. You know, stupid, <sighs> stupid model. Those FCS guys, you never know. So the consensus board did well too. I wonder if there are other draft boards that would have done well. Um, which teams draft from this year was closest to our model? Okay, let me uh, let me look that up. The um, the Ravens over time though I would say are pretty close. If we've got any Ravens execs mm-hmm. listening here, let's let's collaborate. Let's see how close we are. As I've heard some heard some rumors about how they're doing stuff and some of the players that they've pointed to historically, and I'm just I'm seeing some similarities. That's all I would say. Um, what would let me go? Do you want to know what uh, our draft board would have done this year? Did I give you that? What would our draft board have done this year? Quan Briscoe. Oh, that's me. Sorry. This is bad. Talk about something while I'm finding this thing. Bad. Uh, PFF draft board by round if we had picked 15. Do you want to hear what that would have been? Your draft board. Oh, 15? I've already read in that. In 2022, you have it? Oh, oh, in 22? So this past was, year. Okay. So what would our team look like this year if we had picked 15? Essentially every pick. Okay. Do you know what it would be? No. I okay. Don't. George Karloftis at pick 15. Love it. Um, the first two picks are Chiefs. Mm. Uh, Sky Moore, we would have taken round two, pick 47. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I kind of screwed up a little bit. Just don't worry about it. Okay. Kobe Dean would have been next. Yeah. Uh, Zach Tom, the tackle for the Packers. So back-to-back Packers. Wow. Zach Tom. Kingsley, Dean's the Eagle. 
But, Kingsley oh, and Bari. Okay. Kingsley. There we go. So he would have been our fifth pick. Yeah, I did love the package fourth round. I was like, Whoa. yeah. I was feeling pretty good on day three. Jamari Sawyer with the Chargers and then Marquise Hayes, the guard. That's who we would have picked if we had pick 15. If we had picked 10, we would have gotten Kyle Hamilton, then Sky Moore, then Bernard Ryman in, thir- in round three. Also three elite players by the model, so there's some consistency there. And then the same next four picks as mm. the other one. I think that'd be a killer draft. We'll see. We would give that an A-plus draft. I mean, yeah. 2021, we would have had Micah Parsons with pick 10, as well as JOK. That mm-hmm. would have been a nice, little, a nice little combo there, using the draft board. Um, and like I said about the consensus board, I know that was Austin's baby. Rest in peace, kind of. Um, did he announce finally where he's going? Yeah, the ringer. Going to the ringer. Mm-hmm. That's it. He got wooed from the ringers. He's moving out there, right? And he's moving to L.A. Yeah. Moving to L.A. Got a nice little office. He always wanted to be out there. Yeah. Yeah. Not a Cincinnati guy at heart like us. No. I'm big, big Midwest. I've lived in four, you like the Midwest, four Midwestern you, states. So yeah. you, you like the Midwest, but you do everything you can to get out of Cincinnati like every weekend. Like, what's the next city I can go to? Um, let's think. Where am I going to go? I'm going to Charlotte. I'm actually going to play Pinehurst in about a month. So really? that's our next. Yeah. That's right. You're a trip to Pinehurst. Summer of Mike. Big golfer. The yeah. summer of Mike. Did you just pick up golfing? I haven't heard you talk about no, golf. No, so I golfed as a youth. This is great, great info for you guys. I golfed like competitively until I was, I want to say, 13. So right before high school because my brother, I, I would always golf with my older brother. And he was two years older than me. And he was, he was very good. So his freshman year, he makes state and then blows up and gets dead last in state of anyone in Illinois, state of Illinois. Quits golf that day. That day he quit golf. Didn't play. Uh, I mean, didn't play for like five or six years. Really? So like he was very, very good. Like could have gotten a collegiate scholarship for golf. Quits that day. And I used to only play with him. Like yeah. it would just be because I was young and it was like I would go out only with him. And so I quit golf that day too. <laughs> I like I didn't quit quit, but I was like I don't want to keep playing if he's not going to keep playing. And so he kind of screwed me there. Oh, so yeah. I picked it back up probably about uh, a year and a half ago to really start playing seriously again. And so I'm getting back to it. Yeah, you're a good athlete. You can pick it right back up. And it's like I'm get I'm also getting to the age where the things I used to do to like you know pick up basketball to do like playing even like tennis to do get scratch the competitive itch you can't do it anymore no nope. if you do it once you take a week off before you do it again <laughs> yes. so golf i can do fairly regularly and compete at so it's that's why i'm playing more golf yeah absolutely i mean golf is yeah. great as you get older yes game. um with the four kids it's a little tough yeah to, to justify Takes a lot like, of time going to the course for six hours exactly sorry honey uh a little difficult but um yeah i used to play a lot in high school never became good mm-hmm. never had clubs that fit that's the problem yeah, that you would have to put about three inches on a club, and that there's not a lot. Did not have, <laughs> did not have good probably, clubs. I mean, with that lever arm, though, you could probably launch them. I um, I went a few weeks ago. We, it was on yeah. uh, it was on our um, TikTok mm-hmm. on the PFF NFL podcast TikTok. I hit a house, hit a couple couple houses both ways. I've smashed two windshields in my time as a. Oh, man. Didn't I'm, end up paying for either of them. Oh, that's good. Yeah, knock on wood here. I mean, especially when you when you have a house on a golf course, you should be expected that there's going to be golf balls yeah. flying. Well, my word, uh, cars. Yours cars. Were ca- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yours were cars that you just. Yeah, those are really bad shots. But houses, thank thankfully, never hit. Yeah, 
My point is, I'll hit a lot of houses, I'll have a lot of stray shots, but every now and again, I just unload and almost, like, drive the green on a par four, and that feels good. Yeah. Yeah, That feels good when you have, like, a chip, you know, your second shot on a par four, even on a PGA level. Of course, like, we were on, I mean, it was good. So, like, one out of 20 drives. Yeah. Feels really good coming off my almost 300-pound frame here. I I had my first, actually, hole-out eagle on a par four last weekend. Yeah. Wow, look at you. Drained awesome. So. That is great. Um, what else do you want to talk about with the draft here? Because um, I just thought this was an interesting discussion to kind of look back, um, to discuss it at a high level as far as strategy goes, what we would have done. I mean, again, putting us into a team situation, limited by seven picks, I think the results are good. Mm-hmm. The Saints, have, and, and again, the best teams are the Saints and the Chiefs. Can they keep that up? Do they actually have a better scouting department? Because our nerds over here at PFF, our friends that we would classify in the nerd bucket, Mm -hmm. those guys say that there's no such thing. There are no good drafters, right? You can't be a good drafter. There's nothing historically that says you are. But are the Saints and the Chiefs actually good drafters? Can you go in with with a higher level of confidence? They have a better model. They have something better than other teams. This has been since 2015. If you push the Saints back to 2011, they're still the best. Um, maybe they are onto something there, and there is a built-in advantage, though it's skewed a little bit, like you said, because they pick they pick few uh, a little bit less. Do you think there is a potential advantage, not schematic advantage, like Charlie Weiss talked about, but a scouting advantage for certain teams? Yeah, I do. Um, it's slim, and again, it it probably doesn't show up massively over time, but I do think that. There are guys that are better talent evaluators than others or just have better process maybe than others in, in how they evaluate. So I agree with that sentiment. But, it, again, it's not, it's not to the degree where it overcomes draft capital and positional values. You know, I'm looking at draft capital. This is non-quarterbacks again. So who actually who should have brought in the most war just based off draft slot in a vacuum? since 2015 it is the the worst teams but also an interesting name in there so you have the browns raiders jaguars right they all drafted a bunch raiders had extra first round picks the ravens are fourth the ravens have the fourth most this is one measure of draft capital Mm -hmm. right non-quarterback draft capital ravens are fourth since 2015 they've been a winning team pretty much every year since then and then the dolphins who are a bad team so the ravens once again when you talk about little edges the Ravens have brought in the third most war. They had the fourth highest draft capital in this particular measure. And they draft pretty well as far as actual players. Like mm-hmm. the, the Ravens are an example of those, one of those teams, I think, that is maximizing these small edges, which are percentage point edges, like you're saying. Yeah. But they do add up if you, if you do it across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, Colts, Niners, and then the lowest draft capital using this measure, Texans. Now... That was them trading away. Every oh, time Bob. they lost a good player, they didn't get enough in return, right? Jadavian Clowney, uh, they traded all their stuff. DeAndre for Hopkins. Larry, yeah, DeAndre and then, Hopkins. Yeah, it says, did Watson trade the, to trade forward Sean Watson, and the Tunsil trade just right. shredded all the draft capital, and then they traded or lost, they didn't like get you said, nearly enough back when blue they chip players Clowney, for nothing. Traded yeah. Hopkins, all that stuff. Um, so lowest draft capital, the Texans, the Rams – who is not, that's not surprising. Yeah. The Chiefs are third lowest. So another team, they're similar to the Saints, and maybe that's what's 
skewing things is the mm-hmm. expectations are lower for those teams, but they're exceeding them. But that Higher is, variance when you have fewer picks. That Yeah. So that could be part of it. Yeah. Uh, but the Bears in the Bills. The Bears, I've made the point. Um, I don't know how you feel about this. A lot of people talking about Matt Nagy and blaming him last year. I've been blaming the roster situation there. Yeah. That Ryan Pace. I mean, that, they gave Pace one too many years. Yeah, that roster has progressively gotten worse. And if you're saying since 2015, the Bears, who have only been a good team a few of those years, have the fourth lowest draft capital using this particular measure. And since 2018, that roster has just gotten worse yeah. and worse. I think that's they, the biggest issue that they've had there. They, they did, I don't, I don't want to say identically too, but they did the Jaguars. They had the Jaguars strategy. You know, remember the Jaguars 2018, 2017, I guess, was the spending spree offseason. Clayus Campbell... AJ Bouye really just outlaid a bunch of cash that then you you can't have a, you can't build a roster like that. We were paying that much escalating contracts to where so much money capped into free agency without picks coming in, um, you know, drafting a running back in the top five without guys to backfill when you're trading away you know two first rounders for Khalil Mack. It's just ticking time bomb. That, that's a roster built to crumble, and obviously that's where they're at right now. That's why we say if you're going to do that, you better be like the Rams and be already set. You, you know, you have yeah. to have things in place that are damn good to do that. You can't be banking on needing more talent at some point. That roster better already be championship worthy. Yep, completely agree, man. Um, anyway, this is this has been fun, kind of going back, uh, looking at what the draft board would have done, the consensus board, my my fun model, and all that stuff. So yeah, hit me up, NFL teams. We'll discuss. In private, of course, all part of PFFIQ. Uh, before we go, I need to remind everybody, here's what we've done as far as the next charity drive. Sam has uh, made it safely to Florida, I believe, last time I checked. He's going to be back on Monday. So appreciate all my guests that have been here, from Trevor Sikama, Mike Times 2, Rick Spielman, Greg Rosenthal, all the fill-ins for Sam over these last couple weeks. Um, but we said for the next charity drive, if you want to see if Sam can hit 60 miles an hour or more, as a as a thrower which did we i asked you that the other day there's no way right there's no way he's unless he's been it. secretly playing long toss every time they stop i wonder far. if he's throwing with his dad that'd They're be just, great him and his dad just having a catch you know <laughs> he bought him his own gun to measure and he like is yeah. really getting you yeah oh yeah I, I could i could see that happening so sam doesn't embarrass himself but um i'm not sure exactly how we're going to do the goal here because we have our friend tanya our colleague over here at pff um just had uh unfortunate surgical accident uh two months ago over here in cincinnati um she's got a long road ahead of her as far as recovery goes uh rehab getting their house in order so that it can accommodate her uh, there's a whole gofundme i did i did pin it to my i tweeted it out today and i have it my as my pinned tweet at pff underscore steve so go check it out it has more information um, but we're trying to support tanya as much as possible here she runs hr over here at pff she's been a great addition to the team over the last couple of years we really want to take care of her we've we've added a few hundred dollars already uh since i tweeted it earlier today so i appreciate everybody that's been a part of that um the goal's high it's a twenty five thousand dollar goal uh, maybe we'll just set some sort of cutoff i, I don't know how i'm not going to track everybody that that donates for the you know that are our listeners or viewers but if we can get it up to a certain point We'll let Sam throw, but it's over there. There you can see it on the screen on YouTube. So support Tanya's journey of health recovery. Check out my pins tweet. Go over there. Anything you guys can do, much appreciated. We've already raised thousands through the podcast here due to everyone's um, generosity and uh, what we've what people have been able to contribute over the last year plus. 
So um, thanks to everybody for being a part of the show and to contribute to Tanya. We also have 25% off any PFF product. Subscription. It's a subscription. It's not a product, Austin tells me. Subscription. Subscription. I'm a product guy, so... NFL pot is your problem. What's a good word for it? PFF. Subscription. Experience. Um, Yeah, there you go. It's an experience. PFF experience. Sign up for the experience with uh, promo code NFL pod. Anyway, back to um, golfing and not podcasting and the summer of Mike for you. And we'll be back with Sam on Monday. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you then.